I want to start this morning with an epic story. I say it's epic because it's kind of unbelievable. There'll be moments in listening that you'll think, surely she's exaggerating a little bit there. But I tell you, I'm not. In fact, um, maybe that's why reality TV does have indeed a market. You know, real life, you know, sometimes you just can't make it up. It is um, more than you could have imagined. So this story is a personal story from last fall, it was last October, that um, a play, a a director of plays was directing a play that was being put on at the Brooklyn Academy of Music. This director is one of Michael's favorite directors, if not his most favorite director. And this man is getting up in years, he's in his 80s, and so seeing work that he's directed just doesn't come around very often. And when Michael learned that this director was going to have a show in October, it was in August that he came to learn of this, and so he said, please, can we go to see this show? Now that needed to be talked about because this ticket price was not within the realm of what we usually spend on things. You know, um, it wasn't in our discretionary account. Um, Maybe that's because we don't have a discretionary account. So we figured out, yes, indeed, we would go to see this play. And so the weeks went by and the day was approaching and we made sure to have everything organized in order for us to go and see this show at the Brooklyn Academy of Music. It was a Friday night performance and Michael, who runs his life according to Google Maps, had uh, typed in how to get to Brooklyn Academy of Music and it said it takes an hour and 45 minutes. He really trusts these devices because he doesn't have a very good sense of direction and he does not like to get lost. So he typed that in and we were discussing then when should we leave because it's Friday and the traffic is going to be what the traffic is. We've got to get all the way to Brooklyn. Do we go early and then get something to eat there? Do we take a snack in the car? Do we hang around here and eat and then go? And we finally decided that we would indeed set out. It was 4.15 when we embarked to travel from Ridgefield, Connecticut to the Brooklyn Academy of Music in Brooklyn. And our handy-dandy maps device said that we would be there at 6 p.m. And indeed, it was keeping pretty good time as we went down through the Sawmill Parkway and then went over on that other road and started to make our way through the Bronx. And it was working out just fine. And it was a little after 5 o'clock or so that we were coming into all the traffic that is a part of the Bronx. And the road that we were on was merging with a bunch of other roads, so the highway was four or five lanes wide, and cars were reorienting themselves to get into the right lane to go where they wanted to go. And you know that at that hour of the day, the sun is at a not very handy spot. It's right here. So we could see the top of the car in front of us, but we couldn't see all those signs that obviously other people knew were there and maybe they could see them because they were changing lanes and we were trying to watch for cars cutting in front of us and all of that, but we weren't sure which one was ours. So we decided to play it safe and stay in the one we were in, which took us right off the highway. Okay, no worries, that's okay. It's gonna be fine, we come right off the ramp We'll just get back on in a second. We land into a stop sign. I mean, not stop sign, but a stoplight, you know, an intersection. And we sit there, and the light turns green, and no one goes. And that's when we realize that there's a car accident right there at that stoplight. 
And we look up longingly at that highway we wanted to be on right there with the cars whizzing by, the one that our little device said we were still on. So it was telling us we're still going to get there, you know, like 6.15 now. And we're telling it we're not up there anymore. We're down here. Fortunately, the police were at the scene of the accident already, so we knew that we were nearer to the end than if it had just happened. But again, another red light came, and then another green light went, and another red light. And by this time, Michael's talking about abandoning the car. <laughs> There's a subway stop over there. He's like, what letter's on that? What number? Where are we? <laughs> but we couldn't really abandon the car in the middle of three lanes of traffic at the stoplight. And so finally, the traffic cleared, and we went rather fast on the road that we now found ourselves in. And the little handheld device, Maps, was telling us then, where we were to go. It started rerouting us. And it advanced our time of arrival at 6.30. Okay, that's all right. So we're making our way, and we get on and off, and we have to go through another little section of town with stoplights, and then we get on. We still have the RFK to go on to get over to the Brooklyn, uh, over to Brooklyn and to the Brooklyn Academy of Music. And so as we make it onto the RFK, we find everyone else is on the RFK too. And our time slowly starts to advance as to when we will arrive at the Brooklyn Academy of Music. 6.40, 6.45. Add to that, Michael at this time has to really go to the bathroom. Really go to the bathroom. That coffee and seltzer that seemed like a good idea an hour and a half ago is no longer a good idea. That was not a good idea. And of course, you don't dare get off of the RFK because like, where are you going to find a bathroom? It's not like there's a big mobile sign or public restrooms here or something like that. So we do not want to get caught into the craziness of the traffic by getting off the RFK. So we keep at it. And we have abandoned conversation. We can't talk any longer because it's just we're just trying to get there. And he's practicing deep breathing. And he said, the first time, the first light we come to, I'm getting out. And just by the way, he knows I'm telling this story. So <laughs> he probably would tell it better than me. <laughs> so he said, the first time I can get out, I'm getting out. And so here we go. We're getting on to the Brooklyn Bridge, making it across. And you know they have that walkway as part of the Brooklyn Bridge. And as we come off of the Brooklyn Bridge to land into Brooklyn, we come to a stoplight. And the walkway is right there where the pedestrians can walk. There's a big, um, you know, cement pilar, whatever those things are called, to make sure that pedestrians don't get hit by crazy drivers with another two foot of, you know, wrought iron um, spokes coming up to make sure no car can jump over it and kill pedestrians right there. And we're about three or four cars back from the light, and Michael says, I'm getting out. I said, okay. So he's in the driver's seat. He exits. He climbs over that wall, over those those metal pillars. I climb over the console to get into the driver's seat, and he takes off to the to the crosswalk. You know, patiently, patiently waiting for that thing to change so he can go over to some place over there where maybe there's a bathroom. And as I'm orienting myself in the driver's seat, I realize that his wallet's there, his phone is there. He's gotten out of the car without anything. And our little Google Maps says our arrival is at 7.10 p.m. at the Brooklyn Academy of Music. And I think, huh, what should I do? I ponder for a half a second going over to pick him up from where he goes to the bathroom, but I don't really know if he's going to find a bathroom in the first place he goes because you know how places can be in the city. Places you think should have bathrooms don't. So he might be going to several spots. 
And then I also remember, having lived in the city for a while, it can take you 45 minutes just to go one city block, and we don't have that kind of time. So I say to myself, I'm going to go park the car. And I hope that he's thinking the same thing and will meet me at the theater. So I set out. I go and I drive, and I'm looking for cheap parking. That's part of the reason we drove, is to keep this as cost-effective as possible. And of course, there are no places to park along the way. I come to the Academy, the Brooklyn Academy of Music, to the theater where we're going to see our show, and there's still no places to park, so I have to go past it. And at this time, I'm thinking, wait, how far have I gone? Because I've got to go back now. It says now the arrival is 7.15, or, and I go around a big block, and I come into a paid parking spot, and the sign says there, as I pull up to the little electronic arm thing, says right there, parking, event parking, $40. And I say to the woman, is there any other cheaper place to park? And she looks at me and she said, there are five theaters in this area and every single one of them has a show tonight. I say, okay. So I pull in, get to my parking spot, and at this time it says my time of arrival is 7.24. So I collect Michael's things, his wallet, his phone, his testing kit, because some of you know he's type 1 diabetic, and it occurs to me that if he does indeed have the same idea as I do to go straight to the theater, his sugar's going to be low. And so I'm going to buy him something on the way. I decide I'll pick up a Gatorade at a food truck, and I do. And I, I have already reoriented the phone to the walking map, and it tells me the estimated time is 7.29. So I run walk to the theater picking up the Gatorade at the food truck. I don't have time to even go into a CVS. And I make it all the way around the corner, and there I see the theater, and there are lots of people out in front, which gives me great hope. And I see the silhouette of one figure on the edge of the sidewalk looking in various directions. And I realize that it's Michael. We had such a great reunion on that sidewalk. <laughs> And we got in line, and we got our tickets, and we had the awesome seats, and he had time to take some Gatorade so he wouldn't have a sugar crash in the middle of the show. It was such a great evening. Now you might wonder, what in the world does that have to do with today's gospel? Well, I'll get to that in a minute. What I want to look at in today's gospel is this idea of the wise and the foolish bridesmaids. We look at this story, and it's confusing. It says one thing in one part and another thing in another part. They're all asleep, and that doesn't seem to be a problem, but then at the end it says, keep awake, and you think, but I thought it was okay if we took a nap. The bridesmaids who are wise have oil, the foolish ones do not, and they don't share. The wise ones don't share. It seems like to go against what we understand it is to live as Christian people. Sharing is a fundamental part of being a Christian person. But I dare say sometimes we think of synonyms with wise and foolish that maybe um, we, don't all, we aren't always aware of. Perhaps inherent in this definition of wise and foolish is an understanding of the overachievers and the lazy. Or maybe we understand the wise and foolish as those who have things and those who don't. Or maybe we understand the wise and the foolish as those that are eager versus those who are apathetic. When we reflect on scripture and some of these words and some of the synonyms we have, we can begin to see how perhaps we need to come to the story again and to open ourselves to what it is that Jesus, the master teacher, is teaching his disciples and thus us. 
I think it's very intentional that it's the wise and the foolish because wisdom is a real thing. Wisdom is of God, and it's not something that's out there at arm's distance to just be studied and objectified, if you will, and walked away from. No, wisdom as we know it in the living God is in a relationship. It's what God invites us into, the fullness of who God is. We are invited into the same. The wise bridesmaids knew of this relationship. The foolish didn't. Wisdom is personified in scripture. And you can see this in Proverbs 8. I have to put on some glasses to read this. If you look in Proverbs, which is right after Psalms, in the middle of your Bible, you can hear how it is that wisdom is personified. Starting at verse 22, wisdom says, The Lord created me at the beginning of his work, the first of his acts of long ago. Ages ago I was set up, at the first, before the beginning of the earth. When there were no depths, I was brought forth. When there were no springs abounding with water, before the mountains had been shaped, before the hills I was brought forth, when he had not yet made earth and fields or the world's first bits of soil. When he established the heavens, I was there. When he drew a circle on the face of the deep, when he made firm the skies above, when he established the fountains of the deep, when he assigned to the sea its limit so that the waters might not transgress his command, when he marked out the foundations of the earth, then I was beside him like a master worker. And I was daily his delight, rejoicing before him always, rejoicing in his inhabited world and delighting in the human race. And now, my children, wisdom says, listen to me. Happy are those who keep my ways. Hear instruction and be wise and do not neglect it. Happy is the one who listens to me, watching daily at my gates, waiting beside my doors. Do you hear the invitation to relationship? The invitation to come and to be in relationship with wisdom. I love it that this is personified because we people, we don't know how to be in relationship without others, without people. We are made to be in relationship. We actually die when we're not in relationship with other people, literally die. And so with wisdom personified, we begin to conceive of the invitation God offers us through God's very self. In chapter 9, it goes on to say, Wisdom has built her house. She has hewn her seven pillars. She has slaughtered her animals. She has mixed her wine. She has also set her table. She has sent out her servant girls. She calls from the highest places in the town. You that are simple, turn in here. To those without sense, she says, Come, eat of my bread and drink of the wine I have mixed. Lay aside in maturity and live and walk in the way of insight. This is in contrast with the foolish woman. If you look to verse 13 of the ninth chapter of Proverbs, the foolish woman is loud. She is ignorant and knows nothing. She sits at the door of her house, on a seat at the high places of the town, calling to those who pass by, who are going straight on their way. You who are simple, turn in here. And to those without sense, she says, stolen water is sweet and bread eaten in secret is pleasant. But they do not know that the dead are there, that our guests are in the depths of Sheol. When we can imagine a relationship with the living God, we are better able to engage it, to enter into that which transforms us. 
Now, Paul takes up this matter in his letter to the Corinthians, his first letter to the Corinthians, because in Jesus, wisdom has been personified again and to its fullest sense. In Paul's first letter to the Corinthians, and if you're looking in your Bible, notice how far back I am, all the way at the back. And in Paul's first letter to the Corinthians, in verse 17, he says, For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to proclaim the gospel, and not with eloquent wisdom, so that the cross of Christ might not be emptied of its power. For the message about the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God the world did not know God through wisdom, God decided through the foolishness of our proclamation, he's speaking of his own, through the foolishness of our proclamation to save those who believe. For Jews demand signs and Greeks desire wisdom, but we proclaim Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. Christ is the wisdom of God. Offering us life. Come, Jesus says. And Paul knows this deep within himself because he heard the invitation. And in the response, he discovered himself in ways he never knew he could be. He goes on to say, God chose what is low and despised in the world, things that are not, to reduce to nothing things that are, so that no one might boast in the presence of God. He is the source of your life in Christ Jesus, who became for us wisdom from God, and righteousness, and sanctification, and redemption, in order that, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. Jesus has come into the midst to bring us into a fullness of life. And in the gospel lesson today, we are reminded that we do this relationship ourselves. Just as the wise bridesmaids couldn't help the foolish, nor can we do relationship for one another. The relationship that God is calling us into is only the invitation to us with God. I can't be in relationship with God for you. Nor can you be in relationship with God for another person. I'm reminded in the story that came to me in anticipation of today's sermon that the, the experience that Michael and I had leading up to the theater was because we had a relationship something that had been cultivated for two decades, more than two decades, a way of knowing and being made known, so that when the emergency came, we entered into it together. This is what God is inviting us into, a relationship with him. And Jesus comes into our midst in order that we might know what it means to be in relationship with the living God, to be saved and redeemed and made new through that transforming love. Because that is indeed what it is. And that is indeed what Michael and I have. We can't boast in our love as if we invented it. We didn't invent love. Any love that we have is a reflection of the love God has made known in Jesus. And that, my friends, is available to all of us. So if you haven't known that deep and abiding love 
transforming love in your own life and a relationship with another person, this is not, not available to you. In other words, that love is still available to you in relationship with Jesus. That, that knowing and being known, that deep love that accepts us as who we are and calls us to be more fully, fully who God has called us to be. Now, it does take some discipline. Anyone who's in a relationship that they cherish knows that it takes some discipline. It takes an intentionality. It takes particular practices. It takes consistency, repetition. And the same is true in our life with God. I tell you, when I accepted the call to come here more than five years ago, and I came to know this community, I was excited by the discipline that I see in Ridgefield and the surrounding regions. I see discipline a lot. People practice discipline in how they care for their bodies and how they eat, or at least if they don't, they know people who do. <laughs> people practice discipline in their work. They go the extra mile. I see people do that in their work. They press through their tiredness or, or their weariness or their fatigue. And we teach that to our kids. And we say, yeah, go get it and try harder and do better because you can do better. And we believe in you. So these disciplines, it's not a foreign concept. You know this. And I thought, oh, my goodness, this is beautiful because the disciplines of faith, you will be able to apply some of those consistencies of the hard work you demonstrate in other areas because you aren't afraid to work hard. Even just living in New England calls forth a discipline when you get up and it's cold and there's ice outside. And I see people say, no problem, I'm going to do this. Right? But I've been somewhat surprised at the reticence to embrace the disciplines that Christ calls us into. I don't know if it's a lack of familiarity or maybe it's a foreignness, you know, people don't know what that means to study the Bible or to pray re regularly or to be faithful in worship or to keep a Sabbath time or to give a proportion of your finances. I don't know. I wonder sometimes if it's maybe that people are keeping disciplines really out of fear rather than out of love. Maybe the reason people try to eat well and exercise is because they don't want to gain any weight, and they're afraid of gaining weight. Or maybe it's because they, want, they don't want to get that sickness that runs in their family. They're afraid. That's why they're doing it. Maybe people work harder that extra hour through their tiredness because they don't want to be beat out by the person beside them who's competing for their job. Maybe that's why people keep these disciplines. Maybe that's why it's fear that motivates us to encourage our kids to do hard classes because we don't want them to not have the best in life and God forbid if they shouldn't have a perfect rosy world. So maybe it's fear that keeps us from engaging these disciplines. I don't know. But I do know that God calls us into these disciplines out of love. That that is why God says, please come into my midst. Sit down with me. I want to tell you of my love for you. Open the scriptures. You're going to discover it there. And where it seems uncertain or unclear, I will stick with you as you discover it through these days and years. It's a living word. And you will discover it anew time and time again. Come, pray. I want to be with you. Set it on your calendar, please, so that we can make a time to be together. Come, take a time of rest, a Sabbath time. 
I want you to know you can trust me with your life. Yeah, really, the whole entire thing. Come, give a proportion to my work in the world of your income. I want you to do that because you know what? Your life is more than what you have here. And what I do with what you have will amaze you. It'll inspire you. It'll encourage you. It'll change you. That's the invitation to disciplines that Jesus offers us. And so that love becomes transforming. We see ourselves differently, not as we were before, but as we are in Christ. And so our boasting is not about any achievement of ours. Our ability to give financially doesn't have to do with our really stellar financial bookkeeping. Our ability to take Sabbath time doesn't have to do with our really fantastic time management skills. Our ability to pray or to study doesn't have anything to do with our diligence or, you know, our superpowers of study. No, each of these are invitations to who God is in and through us, calling us into a fullness of life. That love is available to each of us. And the wise maidens, they knew that. They'd been practicing. They'd been in relationship already. They didn't want to risk anything from keeping them from being there when he arrived. And the foolish ones, they, they just didn't know. When the bridegroom says to them, I don't know you, it's because the bridegroom doesn't. My friends, we are invited into this relationship. God's infinite, abundant love, deep, unconditional never wavering, mercy, forgiveness, generosity, abundance. It's there for us already, always. And we, by the mercy and goodness of God, are invited to come in. Come in, Jesus says. Come in and have what I have prepared for you. Through our own ability and willingness to say yes, we will be recipients of all the love that God has for each of us. Amen.